0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. This is the last uh, message in this series from 1 Thessalonians, entitled, Real Real World Christianity. Uh, This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he only spent three weeks at. He went into Thessalonica, and he founded this church in in three weeks' time. He he tried to jam-pack a lot of uh, teaching and discipleship into a three-week period, and then he was run out of town... And now he's writing to this church. It's the first letter, the first really New Testament book. It was written sometime around 51 A.D. This letter was written before any other of Paul's letters. And Paul's letters were written before any of the Gospels were written. So this is a very early letter. And he's writing to these people to help them see what real faith looks like in a real world. It's a letter that's desperately needed in our world today. Primarily, he does two things. The first thing he does in the first couple of chapters is he, he has to defend himself against false accusations that have entered into the church at Thessalonica after he left. And then he spends a good bit of the last two chapters dealing with what happens when people die and what happens when the Lord comes back. Or has he already come back? Or is he coming back or not? In fact, that's the title of this message today. Is he coming or not it's been two thousand years since jesus said he was going to come and he hasn't come yet is he coming or not first thessalonians chapter 5 beginning with verse 1 and reading the first 11 verses now brothers and sisters about times and dates we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety Just as, in fact, you are doing. Well, is he coming or not? Is Jesus coming back or is he not? Paul spends three weeks at Thessalonica. Among the things that he tells them, he tells them that they need a relationship with Christ by receiving Christ into their lives as their Savior and Lord but he also tells them that Jesus, who has died, uh, been resurrected, and has ascended back to the Father, will at some point come back. And he tells them that they need to be ready at any moment, because Jesus could come back at any moment. The Thessalonians interpret Paul to mean that, that Christ will come back before any of them die, that he's going to come back within a few weeks or maybe a few days so some of them quit their jobs why work if the Lord's gonna be coming back in a few days there's no point in working spend your retirement there's no point in saving for retirement the Lord's coming back in a few days but then some of their folks started dying and then they started wondering is he coming back or not and if he comes back what about the folks who have died we thought he was coming back while we were all still alive Is he coming back, or is he not? They thought he was, sooner rather than later, but he didn't. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still wondering, when's he coming back? Is he coming back? Is he coming or not? Some people say that he's not coming back, that it's all a myth. Other people say... Uh, Jesus will return, but it's not a matter of will return, He's already returned. They say that He returned on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit. There are still others who say that He has already come, but He came in in the year A.D. 70 when the Roman Empire sent armies into Jerusalem and and, uh, surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Is he coming, or is he not? Is there a reason to believe that he's not going to come back? Have you ever read some of the statements of Jesus about when he's coming back? They're they're kind of confusing. For instance, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, you hear this. Jesus said, brother, he's talking about the second coming. He says, brother will betray brother to death. A father is child, children will rebel against their parents, have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another and listen to this. He says, truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Just on the surface, that sounds like that the people to whom Jesus was speaking, they were his disciples that the Lord was going to come back while they were still alive. That's what it sounds like. He says that again in uh, verse 28 of that same chapter. He says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. That sounds like that He's telling these people, you will still be alive when the Son of Man comes. And yet... Insofar as the way that we believe He's going to come, He's not come. Again, in Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 30, He says this, He says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Verse 32 of Matthew 24 says this, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. And verse 34, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words Will never pass away. Now, Jesus is talking to the people at that time, the generation of that time. Was he saying that they, not us, would be witnesses of the return of Christ? It sounds like it. On the surface, it sounds like it. Is that the case? There's a lot of debate about what Jesus meant. Some people say that Jesus did intend for his, those people to believe that he would come back while they were still alive. Other people say, no, that can't be the case. There must be another explanation. And quite frankly, uh, it's, a, it's a big debate uh, for which there has not been a good resolution. But I think that we have to think in, in this, these terms. Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians in A.D. 51. And when he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians in A.D. 51, he clearly believed that the return of Christ was still future. For the Lord Himself will come, he says, with the sound of the trumpet, the trumpet call of God. So for Paul, in A.D. 51, the return of the Lord was still future. Now, when Jesus spoke the words that I just quoted to you from Matthew 24, it was around the year A.D. 30. So if Paul, 21 years later, still believes that the return of the Lord is future, then I think it's safe to say that we can't understand Jesus' words to mean that the Lord was going to come back while those folks who were standing there are still alive, at least not the second coming of Christ. On top of that, somebody said, well, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, that was the return of Christ. Well, that also was in A.D. 30, about 50 days after Jesus was crucified. But still, that's A.D. 30. And again, Paul in A.D. 51 still sees the second coming as future. And so if Paul who had uh, probably the best understanding of the words of Jesus than anyone alive at his time, if he understood the return of the Lord to still be future, then I think that we must consider the return of the Lord to be future. He is coming back. Now, in lieu of the fact that the Lord is coming back, I think it is important for those of us who want a real faith in a real world to have the proper perspective concerning the return of the Lord. We don't need this pie in the sky by-and-by kind of idea about the Lord coming. We don't need to deny the Lord's coming. We don't need to walk around and live as though He's never going to come. There needs to be a healthy perspective concerning the return of the Lord. And Paul gives us some insights that are part of a healthy perspective on the return of the Lord. The first insight that I want you to notice concerning the uh, return of the Lord is this. Nobody on earth knows when the Lord will return. Nobody does. Paul says this in verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus even said that no one knows when the the second coming will occur except God the Father. At the time that Jesus made this statement in Matthew 24, He even didn't know. He says this in Matthew 24 verse 36, He says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So nobody knows when the Lord is coming back. Now, if, if, if the Bible is clear on this on this uh, fact that no one knows, then how laughable is it when from time to time we hear these uh, so-called expert people who come out with these predictions about the Lord coming back on a certain date. Just this past year, there was a fellow by the name of Harold Camping who is, uh, he has his own uh, uh, so-called Christian radio network, and he is a pastor out in California, and he predicted that the Lord would come back on May the 21st, 2011. There were a lot of people who believed him. Would you believe there were people who actually gave up their jobs based upon what Harold Camping said? Well, May the 21st came and went, and the Lord didn't come back. Anybody who knows anything about Scripture at all should have known that Harold Camping didn't have all of his facts straight because it's not possible for anybody who's on earth to know when the Lord is coming back. I wish that he were the only person throughout Christian history who has claimed to know exactly when the Lord is coming back. Hal Lindsay. back in the 70s, late 70s, wrote... Uh, A couple of books, one of them was called The 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon, in which he predicted that the end of time would come during the 1980s. He even identified Russia as the great dragon uh, that had an army from the north that would come down into Israel. I mean, he he had dates set up. And he had it he had it down almost to a science as to when the Lord would come back. It's interesting that he predicted the Lord would come back during the 80s. In the 90s, the book was secretly pulled out of print. Wonder why. Jehovah's Witnesses are notorious for predicting Exactly when the Lord was going to come back. At first, they said He was going to come back in 1914. They based their, their prediction on, on the way they interpreted prophecies in the Old Testament book of Daniel. When the end didn't come in 1914, they changed the meaning of the prediction. And they said, no, it's going to be 1915. When he didn't come in 1915, they said, no, we're three years off. It's going to be 1918. When he didn't come in 1918, they changed it to 1920. When, they cha- when he didn't come in 1920, they changed it to 25. Then they changed it to 1941. Then they changed it to 1975. The latest, they changed it to 1994. And that's not all the predictions that they have whenever the Lord's going to come back. Who could possibly believe a word they say? Finally, they said, well, what really happened was at a certain date, the Lord did come, but nobody knew it. (laughs) Nobody knew it. You see, you have to look at the scripture and see that nobody on earth knows when the Lord returns. Some of you who are my age remember back in 1987. There was a fellow by the name of Edgar Wisenant who put out this little pamphlet. It was a pamphlet. And it, and and the uh, title of the pamphlet was "88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988." He wrote a second book that was called "On Borrowed Time." In fact, some of you remember this. You could you could start on on the front and read "88 uh, Reasons Why the Lord's Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988." Flip it over. And the backside, which was upside down, would turn it. It was on borrowed time. So he had two books, two pamphlets in one single pamphlet, and he predicted that the Lord would come back on uh, September the 11th, 1988. When he didn't come back on September the 11th, he figured that he had he had it two days off. That he'd come back on September the 13th. When that didn't happen, he still said, you know, the predictions are so precise that he's got to come back sometime in the next two weeks. Well, nobody knows anything about Edgar Whisson now. Except for the fact that he obviously didn't know the scriptures. Because the scriptures tell us that nobody on earth knows when the Lord will return. The second insight that Paul gives us is this. The Lord's return will come when most people do not expect it. When most people do not expect it. Now, the Bible doesn't say that nobody will expect it. The Bible, the Bible simply says that that most people will not Expect it. Paul says, verse 2, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. In Matthew 24, the words of Jesus, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Paul goes on to say that, that and he's talking to the Thessalonians, those who have a relationship with Christ, he says, But you are not walking in the dark. As those who do not know Christ, you're people of the light, you're people of the day. Therefore, this should not uh, take you by surprise if you are prepared and ready. If you have a relationship with Christ and you are living for him with expectancy of his return, this day should not totally take you unaware. But it will most people because the Lord's return will come when most people do not expected the third insight Paul gives us here in this chapter is this the most important consideration regarding the second coming is to be ready we need to be ready we need to take the girl scout and boy scout motto and apply it to our christian lives as we as we look ahead to the second coming of christ we are to be ready paul says in verse 6 he says so then let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be awake And let us be sober. Matthew 24, verse 42, again the words of Jesus. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You know, the way to be ready is to have a relationship with Christ... And then as a result of that relationship, be living for him. We don't live for him in order to have a relationship with Christ. That's work salvation. Salvation is a free gift that's given to us. All we have to do is receive it. But as a result of becoming genuinely saved, we should live for the Lord as a result, as a product of our salvation. And that is how we are ready, by having a relationship with Christ. First and foremost, and then as a a byproduct of that, we are living for him on a daily basis. Not that we won't make mistakes, but we're living for him on the whole. Our life is is typified by living for Christ. The most important consideration regarding the second coming is to be ready. And then the final insight that Paul gives us in this chapter is he says this, the fact that Christ is coming back should be a basis for encouragement, not a point of contention. It should be a basis for encouragement, not a point of contention. You go to most any book today that's about the end of time on the subject of what scholars call eschatology, the study of end times. If you if you uh, uh, listen to many uh, lectures or debates about the end of time, you, what you find is this. There's a great deal of disagreement over what's going to happen when the Lord comes back. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Christians disagree on a lot of things. If you're Baptist, we disagree on pretty much everything. I mean, you have three Baptists, you got six opinions on most everything. And so that's not a surprise. But here's the problem when it comes to the end of time. There are people who say, if you don't believe what I do on the end of time, then you're, you're borderline lost. I, I was at a... I was at a uh, a meeting several years ago, it's been about uh, 15 years ago, at uh, First Redeemer Church in Cumming, Tim LaHaye was, was speaking, the uh, co-author of the Left Behind series. And Tim LaHaye is a, what's called a, a dispensational premillennialist, which is the most popular view of the end times today. But it's not the only view. And it is not a criteria for whether or not a person is a Christian. There are well-intended Christians who... Agree with Tim LaHaye, there are well-intended Christians who are true Christians who don't agree with him. But in his uh, 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 presentation that night at First Redeemer, he all but said that if you didn't agree with him, you were pretty much lost. Now, this is a a well-respected author, someone that many of you have have read. We have his books in our library here at the church. You'll find them at most any uh, county library. He is the co-author of the most successful Christian set of novels in the history of Christianity. And yet he got up and all but said, if you don't agree with me, then you are borderline lost. Really? You see, the end of time has become a point of contention way too often. But Paul says that it shouldn't be that. Here's what he says. He says this, he says in verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then here's what he says. Here's what he says ought to be the basis for our our end time belief. He says in verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build up each other just as in fact you are already doing. You see, the fact that Jesus is coming shouldn't be uh, an argument. It shouldn't be a point of disagreement. It shouldn't be a a, a theater where Christians are going to war with each other. It ought to be the place where we encourage one another and comfort one another and let people know that there's hope for the future no matter what we're going through today. Paul said this again in chapter 4, the chapter right before this one. He says in chapter 4 verse 18, talking about the... uh, The end of time and where Christians go when they die, he says in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, the fact that the Lord is coming ought to be an encouragement to us. It ought to be something that we anticipate excitedly, with great eagerness and enthusiasm. Because we know that no matter what we go through in this life, no matter how hard the struggles get, no matter hard life may be, no matter how uh, below the bottom of the barrel we find ourselves so that we're looking up to see the bottom, no matter any of those things, we know that the best is yet to come. We know that there is hope because Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead to give us life. He ascended back to the Father where He intercedes with us when we can't even pray for ourselves. And He will come back according to the Scriptures. And He will take us home. The Bible says in, that among His last words to the disciples before He went to the cross, he says, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again to receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord wants to spend eternity with you. You see, our faith can be summarized in three short phrases. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming back. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming back. That's the essence of our faith. And what matters today is not when the Lord will return. That is a matter that the scriptures clearly tell us is beyond our scope of understanding, period. What matters is being ready for when He comes. And encouraging one another with the fact that he's coming. My question to you is, are you ready? Should the Lord come back? Are you ready? Is Jesus in your heart? Do you have a relationship with him? If I were to ask you to give your salvation testimony, would you have one? Could you be able to point out a time in your life when you invited Christ into your life to be your Savior. Are you ready? Are you ready for when, not if, when the Lord returns? Oh, He's coming. It's a matter of being ready. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the hope that we have in You. We're grateful that We have the promise in your word that you will come back. And you call us to be ready. My prayer, Lord, is that in this room, everybody is ready. But, Lord, I have no doubt that perhaps someone here, maybe several people here, have never invited you into their lives to be their Savior and Lord. They're not ready. And God, I pray that during this invitation, those who are not ready will just step out and come down this aisle and kneel in this front area, this altar area, and invite you into their hearts. Lord, I pray for people who are saved, but there's a decision they need to make. Maybe it's a decision to rededicate their lives to you, to living for you in anticipation of your coming. Maybe it's the decision to join this church. Maybe it's something they need to bring to the altar that I haven't even touched on in this message. But they just need to come to the altar. Lord, I pray that your spirit would make a place of freedom in this place right now. Where people would feel free to respond to your prompting. In Jesus' name. Amen.